Ephesians. We're in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 6. We're going to pick up where we left off. Seems like forever ago. It's been quite a while since we've been able to meet and uh, get back into a series. This is something that was started many, many months ago as we've been looking through the book of Ephesians. Then we found ourselves here speaking concerning the whole armor of God. And so we took just a few weeks that we might be able to uh, look at those different pieces on Sunday mornings. Brother Tom, I got a little bit of feedback up here. Things whistling in my ear. Sometimes I have dog ears. My wife says I can hear those little noises that can't anybody. I can't hear when she's talking to me, and it's not selective here. And I try to listen, uh, but she'll say something. I simply can't hear what she's saying, but you get one of those real high-pitched, uh, low noises that no one else can hear, and that thing will drive me flat crazy. Uh, but anyways, Ephesians in chapter number 6, and the Apostle Paul is writing to this church concerning the, the whole armor of God. Now, we must put this in context with the entirety of the uh, scriptures here as we look back to the book that uh, the Apostle Paul would write to this church. He is encouraging them. He's making known what has been given unto them when they have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ to be their Savior. As we look at chapter number 5, the Apostle begins to write concerning the the walk of the believer, or the life of the believer, the life that we live on a daily basis, the things that we do, the places we go, the people we see, the people that we minister to, the, the opportunities that are brought before us and those that, uh, that oftentimes we take for granted and even those that uh, we make the most of. In uh, verses number 19 through 33, Paul gives us, excuse me, 21 through 33, Paul gives us these verses about how a husband and a wife ought to love one another and how there ought to be order in that Christian home. When we look at chapter number 6, Paul begins to speak concerning the children and how they are to obey their parents and how the parents are to take care of their children, bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Paul gives us instruction concerning how servants ought to obey their masters and how masters ought to look to their servants and realize that uh, they too have a master who is even over them. And then we find ourselves in verse number 10 where the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong, <clears throat> strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand an evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Father, again this morning, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for the instruction we find in your Word. How that we might be able to stand and even withstand in the day and the hour in which we live. Father, we thank you for the armor that, that you have offered unto us. And I pray that as we read and, and study these verses, we would be mindful on a daily basis that we might wake up and suit up as we prepare to face another day. Lord, this morning as we, as we look at that gospel of peace, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. 
Lord, that you would give us a heart to receive what the Word of God has to say to us in this hour and in this day. Father, we love you and thank you for your goodness. I pray now that you would remove all distraction, that you would fill me with the words that, that you would have me to speak, that you might be glorified here in this place, for we ask it done in Jesus' name. Amen. I can tell you we live in a day unlike any other. For the past two months, we've been in uh, quarantine. I've looked at 2020, and I remember, and I've said this here from this pulpit, we were in a watch night service down in Ridgeway, Virginia, and we spoke in that watch night service, and on the way home after having a, a good breakfast, we were on our way home about 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning. And I looked at my wife, and I said, 2019 didn't go exactly the way we had planned it. 2019 was not exactly the year we had hoped it to be. I said, but 2020 is here now, and, and things are going to be different. Little did I know what I was saying. I thought they were going to be different to the good, but it seems that 2020 has been the most difficult year for my wife and myself that we've ever known, and I'm sure many others might agree with me on that. Even in the past two months, with this quarantine, there have been additional things added in our lives on top of that. We mentioned Wednesday night in prayer meeting as I was asking prayer for our families. It's been within the past couple of months that we've learned that we lost a grandchild. My, my daughter was, uh, is, is now pregnant. She was pregnant with twins. And one of those is, is no longer. And one of those has gone to be with the Lord. And I look forward to that day that, that we might be able to see him or her. I look forward to the day that we're able once again to meet. I'm looking forward to the one that's coming. My wife lost a grandfather last week. We buried him last uh, Tuesday. Last Friday, we had to call the rescue to come pick up my granddaughter. She was what we believe uh, having an allergic reaction. We had no idea what was going on, but, but we had her at our home, and she got sick. And next thing you know, she she got limp, and we just we just couldn't do anything couldn't do anything to, to bring her back to and so we called the rescue and they came and they picked her up and they took her within a few hours she was okay again why do I say all of that I say that because in this day and in this hour in the tribulation and the troubles that we're going to know not necessarily as Christians but simply as being human beings we're going to have to deal with some things we're going to know temptation. We're going to know trouble. We're going to find ourselves, even as Christians, in the midst of the storm. And if we do not have our feet shot, if we are not prepared to, to stand fast, then we are going to be completely overwhelmed. The devil is going to take every opportunity afforded to him that he might be able to knock the wind out of our sails, that he might be able to knock us off of our feet, that He might put us on our southern hemisphere, that we not stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Here the Apostle Paul writes in verse number 13, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. Now when he says the whole armor of God, he's saying very clearly that we are to put on each piece, one piece at a time. You cannot forget that girdle of truth. You cannot pass over the breastplate of righteousness. You say, but it's hot and it's uncomfortable. You think about those police officers. You think about those who work for the sheriff's department. And every day, even on a day such as today or tomorrow or next week, 
It might be 85, 90, 95 degrees with 100% humidity. It is a miserable feeling. But that officer realizes that when he gets up and he begins to put on that uniform, it is of the utmost importance to, to put on that vest that he might be protected against the enemy that he may or may not face on any particular given day. And so as Christians, we must do that same thing. We must wake up daily. This is not something we do once and for all, but daily we wake up and we suit up and we get prepared to face the day that lies before us. So Paul says that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. When is the evil day? I believe every day has the opportunity to be an evil day. We cannot say what days will be good and what days will be bad. And so we are prepared no matter what may come our way. And I like what Paul, the Apostle Paul says here at the end of verse number 13. And having done all to stand. We see that again and again and again. There's something important about standing. There are some things that are worth standing up for. Your family is something that is worth standing up for. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is something worth standing up for. Being able to meet in such a place as this is something that is worth standing up for. Our brothers and sisters in Christ is something worth standing up for. Someone that you do not know that is being treated unfairly or incorrectly is something worth standing up for. Why? Because we are to love everybody. We are to love God. We are to love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are to love our husbands and our wives, our children, our grandchildren, our mothers, our fathers, and even our neighbors as our own selves. We are to love those who are unlovable, those who have no desire to be loved. And so as we love them, we stand up for them. There are some things that are worth standing up for. Amen. Paul says here as we stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ, as we stand up for those things in which we believe, we must be sure that your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now there are some words in here that I'd like for us to look at one by one. Number one, he speaks of the feet. Secondly, we see that word shod. That word shod literally means to be bound under. I believe the Apostle Paul, of course, we know he to, to be in prison at this time. This is a prison epistle. This is a letter that has been written as the Apostle Paul is finding himself locked up in a Roman prison. He would no doubt look out and see Roman soldiers. It could be even at this time that he was chained in between two, between two Roman guards. He would see these Roman soldiers and see the uniform that they would wear. Of course, they would have that, that girdle. They would have that breastplate. They would have on a, a sandal, some sort of a shoe. Why? Because we must protect those feet. You think about how important your feet are. You think about on a daily basis how you take them for granted. But when you're on your feet all day, you realize very quickly that it is of the utmost importance to have the proper protection for your feet. I remember working in one machine shop and we worked 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, sometimes 18 and 20 hours a day. We would do whatever it would take to be sure the job was done. Concrete floors and a young man who's big boned, as my grandma would say. There's a lot of stress going on to those feet. And you spend that much time on that concrete floor at some point or another, your feet are going to begin to ache. And so you begin to, well, I personally, I began to go through different kinds of shoes. I bought 
tennis shoes. I bought work boots. I bought Oxfords. I bought hikers. I bought any kind of shoe I thought might help my feet to feel better as I would find myself on those cement floors day after day after day, and it seemed that nothing would work. And you find that when those feet begin to hurt, your whole body begins to ache. When you can't stand on your own two feet, you believe yourself to be absolutely worthless. It is hard to continue to go on when your feet are aching in such matter. And so you look at these Roman guards and they have, they have these certain shoes. They're not standing on concrete floors, but they are prepared to go unto battle. And if they're going to go into battle, they must have the proper equipment. And so you would look at the shoe in which they would wear and it would be some sort of a leather sandal. And there would be straps that would go round about their feet and around about their legs. And they would have these brass or bronze uh, pieces in front of their shin that would add protection. But what was interesting about these shoes is on the bottom of these shoes would be like a cleat. There would be like a metal spike. You could imagine just this is my, uh, this is my uh, very, very elementary illustration. Take you an old flip-flop. Turn that flip-flop upside down, get you some 16-penny nails and poke those through that flip-flop. Then turn that flip-flop over again, put your foot in, and look at those 16-penny nails sticking out of the bottom. You begin to walk and those nails, they dig in to the ground. They make it to where you are almost immovable. And so when you find yourself standing uh, in a certain place and someone else comes up and they begin to try to push you around, it is more difficult for them. It is much more easy to stand strong. It is much more easy to stand fast when you are wearing the proper equipment. And so the Apostle Paul writes again here in verse number 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now we know that the Apostle is speaking figuratively. He's not necessarily telling us that we are to put on that physical shoe. But he is telling us that we are to put on that preparation of the gospel of peace. Amen. When we look at the feet, we must think along the lines of those being a, a sure foundation. When you look at a house, you look at that brick underpinning, and that is the foundation of that home. Everything rests upon that, that foundation. You put in those pillars underneath that house before you lay the first floor truss. And so you've got to have a, a solid, a sure, a certain foundation before you are able to build anything upon those pillars. And so when we begin to think about putting on the gospel armor, we must begin with a sure foundation. 1 Corinthians in chapter number 3, of course, this is also the Apostle Paul. In verse number 11, he writes these words, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. What is our foundation? What is the foundation of the Christian faith? It is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you look and that's what Christianity is. It is the belief that there was a Savior who lived and gave His life, was risen again, that we might be born again. That is the foundation in which we build upon. Now, the, the, uh, the Apostle Paul would go on to write there in 1 Corinthians that, that we can build one of two ways. doesn't matter what the foundation might be. He says, but if you were to take and build of wood and hay and stubble and all the rest, all of those things are going to be burnt into fire. He said, but if you will build with that gold and silver and precious stones and things along that lines, there will be a reward in the building. Now, Paul is looking to the future. 
He's saying as Christians, if you build upon that which is earthly, we might say, the wood, the hay, the stubble, you do things that they seem to be good on the outside, but they truly have no eternal value. He said there will be no reward. There will only be loss. Your soul shall be saved and you will find yourself in the midst of the glory of God. But the rewards will not be given unto you. But if you will build with gold and silver, if you will give to missions, if you will, if you will do the work within the church, if you will reach out and try to make the gospel known unto others, those are things in which you shall be rewarded for. So we find that we must build upon a sure foundation. Paul says in your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Not only must there be a sure foundation, but there must be a certain fit. Have you ever tried to wear somebody else's shoes? I got a picture from my wife the other day. Jeremiah decided he was going to put on my cowboy boots. Now you can look at my foot. I'm a, a size 12D. Jeremiah is a size, I don't know, about that long, whatever that is. I'm six foot three. He's about not even three foot six. And so he puts my cowboy boots on and he's almost having to stand on his tippy toes in order that the top of the boot is not digging into uh, to his waist and to his hips. He has got a shoe on that, that does him no good. It is way too big for him. This morning I was playing with him. I said, Jeremiah, can I wear your shoes? He said, here, Paul, Paul, that's the left one. He's got left and right figured out now. He said, that's the left one. So I, I took his little shoe and I put it on my toes. I said, can I wear these today? He said, no. I said, why? He said, Paul, Paul, they're too little. He said, Paul, Paul, your feet are, are too big. I can do nothing in his shoes. He can do nothing in mine. You look back to the Old Testament. You've got David, the little shepherd boy. He is getting ready to go into battle with a nine foot, nine inch giant by the name of Goliath. King Saul looks to young David, the shepherd boy, and says, I'm going to allow this to happen. David, I don't think you've got a chance in the world, but I'm going to allow you to go and, and face this Philistine giant. Only I would have you to put on my armor. Put on my, my coat of mail. Put on my helmet. Take my sword. David, you've got to be prepared to go into battle. And so David suited up. And he realized that he had not yet proved that armor. He realized that somebody else's armor was going to be a problem for him. It was going to cause him more trouble than it ever would good. You've got to have a certain fit. You've got to make sure that your armor was built for you. Look at 1 Peter in chapter number 3 and verse number 15. 1 Peter chapter number 3 and verse number 15. This is the Apostle Peter. And he is writing here in this epistle that he would give us. And the Bible says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Peter doesn't write to the church and say, be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies in your mother and your father or your grandmother and your grandfather, the ones that were sure that you were in church every Sunday morning. Peter doesn't write to the church and say, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have that's not your own but comes through an aunt or an uncle or through someone who drives a bus and picks you up and brings you to church or even your church membership or none of the rest. He says be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies in you. And what is that hope? We look back again to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that blessed hope of knowing that He is coming again to take that which belongs unto Him and receive it unto Himself. We must be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. There is a hope that is within me that is my hope. And my hope does no good for my children. Now I can pray for my children. I mean, you look back to the Old Testament. You look at Job. Job was a godly man. And yet you would find Job would spend time praying, asking God that he might forgive his children if, if they had sinned against him. Those sons and daughters would come together and they would have uh, these big shindigs. They'd have these big parties, these big feasts. Job would go out of his way, spend time on his face before an almighty God. God, if they've done anything that would offend you, if they have done anything that is sinful, if there is anything that would take them from your good graces, Lord, I pray that you would forgive them of their sin. It's a good thing to pray for your children. I pray for my children. I pray for my grandchildren. But my prayer cannot save them. My prayers for my children will not get them into heaven. They must trust Christ for their own selves. They must have their own suit of armor. They can't wear my suit and enter into the glory of Almighty God. They have to suit up for themselves. They must find themselves at a place where they trust Christ to be their, their Savior. There must be a certain fit. We continue to read here. And the Bible says in verse number 15, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. As we stand, we must stand firm. Again, Paul says we must stand fast. The storms are going to come. Jesus Christ said the world hated me. Surely it's going to hate you. If they would hate me so much so for doing nothing outside of what is absolute truth, if they would love me so much so that they would nail me to another man's cross and crucify me. They're going to hate you as well. Many of the apostles, even Paul here, Peter and the rest, they would give their lives as a martyr. Paul, it is said, would lose his head there at Rome. The apostle Peter crucified upside down, knowing that he was not worthy to die the same manner in which his Savior did. But these would be willing to, to give their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. They were hated, and for what reason? Why did they hate Paul? They hated Paul because he would stand up before a crowd of people such as this and say, you must be born again. They would hate Peter because Peter would call them out on their sin. There was one born unto you. He was spoken of throughout the Old Testament Scripture. He is the Messiah that spoke the world into existence. He is Emmanuel, came and dwelt among you, and your fathers took his life. They hated Peter so much so. They hated Stephen so much so, after preaching a message such as that, that they would stone him and take his very life. And yet still these men would stand firm. You look at the Apostle John. He would write the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John as well as the book of Revelation. It is said according to tradition that they took John and tried to basically boil him to death. Imagine taking a big black pot, filling it with vegetable oil or something along that line, getting it to boiling, and taking a human being 
in that pot. You would want to die. You would be begging God that he might take your life. Now, I don't know what would be worse, being in the pot or being out of it. Once you've come out, you've got those sores and days and even weeks of healing ahead. And yet John would stand firm. John would stand fast. So many of us today are offended. So many of us cower down when anyone comes and questions our faith. Did you go to church yesterday? Yeah, I did. Are you a Christian? Well, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, 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 tell me about this. Well, what does the Bible have to say about that? And, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves, and, and we're all guilty of this. We find ourselves and we'll start, to, we'll start to look down at our feet a little bit. And then it'll get really quiet. And the more questions they ask, the quieter we get. Why? Because we're not ready yet to give an account for the hope that lies within us. We are not able to stand strong. Why? Because we're not taking time to study the Word of God. We're not rightly dividing the Word of truth. must be a sure foundation which is of course the Lord Jesus Christ there must be a certain fit we've got to be absolutely sure that we will put on the, garment, the armor it is our own in which we put upon ourselves we must stand, for, for, uh, stand firm but notice finally what verse number 15 has to say your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace what is the gospel if I had to ask you today to, to simply state what is the gospel, what would you say? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is significant about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Then what do you say? Or if somebody asks, how do you know it's true? Then what do you say? Because I believe it. Because that's what the Bible says. Well, how do you know what the Bible has to say is true? They will do everything they can to paint you into a corner. You go out into a world, and the world today is just as it was some 2,000 years ago. will receive Him not. You cannot look around you and tell me there is not a Creator. You cannot step outside of these doors and look up and tell me that there is not a God. You can't look off to the hills in the west and tell me that there's not someone who was before all things. Even the heavens declare the glory of Almighty God. Paul says, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul writes over in Romans chapter number 10, verse number 15. Verse number, let's start with verse number 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I had the opportunity yesterday to spend some time with Brother Junior Haley via the internet. Brother Junior a pastor here in Danville, Virginia, and a missionary in South Dakota. And he asked me yesterday morning if I'd be willing to uh, fill in for someone who had to cancel. I said, sure, not a problem. 
And so I spent about two hours on the internet. We were answering questions and talking back and forth concerning uh, some things that are prophetical, some things you find in the book of Revelation. My question was, is Judas Iscariot the Antichrist? Another question was, who are the two witnesses spoken of in the book of Revelation? Another question was, can a Christian take the mark of the beast? And you can find that on Brother Junior's Facebook page if anybody's interested in seeing answers to those questions, or at least our answers to those questions. But that got me to thinking about some things. Brother Junior's over in Ghent, Belgium. If I'm not mistaken, that country is predominantly, I believe, and I may be wrong about this, I believe that country is predominantly Catholic. I know there's a lot of Muslim influence. You go to other places and there's even more, and it's even more so. I know, that, I know uh, Brother Rolando down in Mexico, a lot of Catholic in, in influence. You look at other missionaries in different places and there, uh, you think about Brother Rob Smith going to England. And I believe something like 2 or 3% of profession, uh, professing Christians there in that place. You think about um, in the Philippines, help me out, Brother Prossy. Brother Prossy in the Philippines trying to make the gospel known. Doing a good work. I think he's seen three, maybe four churches planted now. But you begin to ask yourself the very question that uh, Paul's asking here. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? There are those who have been called and gifted to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are those who have been called and gifted to pastor a church. There are those who have been called and, and gifted to be missionaries, to be evangelists, to be Sunday school teachers, and all the rest. But all of us, each and every one of us, are a preacher in our own right. That doesn't mean that we stand up before a great congregation, but your life is your testimony. The opportunity you're given to make known the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ makes you a preacher under that person. Paul says, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. How beautiful are the feet. Those feet that are shod with the gospel of peace. Yeah, I'm so thankful for the missionaries that we're able to send out of Spring or that we're able to support at Spring Street Baptist Church. I am extremely thankful for Brother Junior and the work that he's doing over in Belgium. I'm thankful that we have just a little part in that. I'm thankful for Brother Jesse Butcher and the work that he's able to do all around the United States of America. And we can mention Brother Prossy and Brother Rob and Brother Orlando, Brother John Shelley visiting prisons, Brother Jimmy Willard right here in Henry County and Patrick County giving out food to those in need. We're thankful for all that work. And it's a good thing to be able to encourage them and to help them financially and in prayer and all the rest. There's a greater work for each and every one of us to do. There is the work that's been given unto each and every one of us as princes and priests to make known the good news of Jesus Christ. Even in Isaiah in chapter number 52, we look back to the Old Testament. Paul said it is written. Anytime you find those words, it is written, you will most likely find the parallel passage in the Old Testament Scripture. The Bible says, How beautiful upon the mountains 
or the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. We'll look at this verse one final time. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You never know when that opportunity is going to stand before you. You could look all around you at any moment in time. Maybe not at home. It should be just you and your family. My hope and your prayer, I'm sure, is that everyone within your household knows Christ to be their Savior. When you step outside of your home and you start talking to your neighbor, what about that person? What about their children? When you find yourself at work and you're there on a production line and you're working with your neighbor, you could ask yourself the question, is that person? Has their name been written in the book of life? When you're driving down the road, I find myself doing this all the time. Somebody zips by me, pulls out in front of me, aggravates me, frustrates me. And I just want to lay on the horn knowing it ain't going to do any good. But it makes me feel better. But you've all been there. You just want to lay on the horn and, and you just then you just want to put your bumper right on their bumper and follow it. It, just, it aggravates you. Brother Bill knows what I'm talking about. He taught me all this stuff. But then what if you just take the, take the time to ask yourself, does that person know Christ to be their Savior? When you're at the grocery store and that cashier has just made one mistake after another, it should have took 15 minutes to get in and get out. You've already been there at that register for 15 minutes. She just can't seem to get it going. And you've got somewhere you need to be. You start getting frustrated and it shows all over. But what if you took the time just to get still and, and ask yourself the question, does that person know Christ to be their Savior? That might be an opportunity for you to witness that person. I believe that's what Paul is telling us here when he says that we are to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that we might be able to stand firm knowing that the evil one's going to fight against us. But knowing too that we're going to have opportunity to reach out to others, to make known unto them that there is a God in heaven that loves them. Amen. That same God that sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for me is the same God that sent that same Son to die for the drunkard down the street. Amen. To die for the prostitute in the back alley and all the rest. My prayer for myself and my prayer for you, my prayer for this church, is that we would be prepared at any given moment at any time to share that gospel, to share that good news with whosoever will God would allow to be in our paths. Ask everybody if you would this morning to stand with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Bill, I'm going to ask you to stop this for us. I'm going to ask you the question this morning.